Hello, my name is Sandy Adamitis, the social media director for the Page International Screenwriting Awards, and your host for the Writer's Hangout, a podcast that celebrates the many stages of writing, from inspiration to the first draft, revising, getting a project made, and everything in between. We'll talk to the best and the brightest in the entertainment industry and create a space where you can hang out, learn from the pros, and have fun. Hey, writers, it's Sandy. We have a terrific show for you today with guest Carrie Freeman. Born in Dallas, Texas, Carrie Freeman is the third in a generation of writers, columnists, and performers, dating back to 1905, when her great uncle, Syme Silverman, launched the Entertainment Bible Variety. Carrie is an accomplished actress with an extensive background in performing, theater directing, and teaching. Truly talented and gifted writer, Carrie wrote a book entitled The Comic's Daughter, based on her life, and it caught the attention of a producer-director, and now they are off to the races to make the movie. This will be a two-part episode. In the first episode, we will cover Carrie's fascinating younger life, and in the second half, we will center on Carrie's writing journey and the mentors who helped get her where she is today. Does the name David Mamet ring a bell? Now, you don't have to have read The Comic's Daughter to listen and to enjoy this episode. Let's get started. Carrie Friedman, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Oh, my pleasure. I have been looking forward to this for so long. You know, we happen to be neighbors, and I had no idea that you were a writer, and we got to talking one day. And you wrote a terrific book and a producer director has optioned it and it's going to become a movie. And I thought, wouldn't it be great for the audience to kind of get in on the ground floor and learn about everything that you're going to be going through? So let's start with, can you tell us about The Comic's Daughter, A Chicago Tale? which is a book you wrote, and would you call it a memoir, autobiography? I guess it is a a memoir. I've gotten away from calling it that more and more. I'm actually calling it a coming-of-age story. It's a funny and dramatic, R-rated coming-of-age story that takes place in Chicago in the 60s. So that's that's a mouthful. I'm in right there. There is a true crime story in here that kind of launches my life that really happened in Chicago when I was 12 going on 13. My father was a stand-up comic his entire life. He was based out of Chicago, which is where I grew up. We traveled a lot. We moved a lot. But he was a Chicago guy. And um, that's all I knew because that's all he ever did. So I don't have an experience of a father that went to an office or anything like that. He was always leaving for club dates, performances. And he got, when I was about 12 and a half, he got connected with um, a personal manager that loved his work. And my dad was really, really funny and talented. And he hooked up with this guy and he was Italian, kind of a hot shot. And his name was Johnny. 
And his wife was a blonde nightclub singer. And at that time, there were a lot of them that kind of like were Kim Novak knockoffs, you know, that put on sequin gowns and sang in nightclubs. And so they were married. I became their babysitter. And uh, the crime was that he was a sadist and his family was very big in the mafia. Like his father was the Don. And uh, he always, the guy always wanted to be in show business. Very charming, very handsome. They always are. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we found out that he beat her up regularly. They had two children. And I babysat for them. I was like 12. And the last time I babysat for them, she killed him within probably two hours of him dropping me off after babysitting. Sends chills through my body. Her name is Joni, and he was Johnny. And I think throughout the book, forget who said it when you learned. Who said, Joni shot Johnny? It was my mother. uh, Because, let's see, I babysat on a Saturday night on Sunday, which is, you know, as I look back, I've always been pretty psychic. And even then, we're walking out the bat. My dad said, let's go visit them, because they were friends with my parents, and they lived nearby. Let's go visit them. It was maybe 11 or 11.30 in the morning. I got out to the car and I said, Dad, shouldn't we call them first? And he said, yeah, yeah, go inside and call them. Well, there were no cell phones. If you weren't home, you weren't home, you know? So I came out and said, there's no answer. They're not there. He said, well, okay, let's go play golf. Well, she was sitting in the house in shock and he was dead in the bedroom. Now, I don't want to take up our whole, you know, time together, but I will just say that night when I babysat, I babysat before, the kids said, do you want to see the guns? It's just so interesting because of what's going on now. They said, you want to see the guns? And I went, guns? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Daddy has guns. They showed me guns, weapons that were not locked up, that were in the dining room. And then they took me into the bedroom and they opened up a side door to a you know, nightstand. And there was a big gun in there. And it was on Joni's side of the bed. He locked her in the bedroom that night. He went to um, sexually accost her and she grabbed the gun and shot him. You, you know, when I was reading it, I didn't think of this. And by the way, we have all the time in the world. So no worries. Okay. But I wonder if these kids just felt like this is too much. It was a little bit like the kids show and tell, you know, but yeah. I think underneath it, there had to be anxiety. Yeah. There had to be anxiety. You know, she would come to our house with bruises and my mother would take her to our family doctor, but everybody was afraid of him because his whole family was in the mafia and people were afraid. These poor women. Growing up, there was a woman in my neighborhood whose husband beat her. And I was very little when I realized this. I could feel that people were looking down on the woman for allowing it to happen. Now, this is, you know, Main Street, USA, and this happened. It was a long time ago, but Anybody who would have helped her would have been a, been scared. That's right. That's right. Everybody was. Where were people inclined to help back then? Thank goodness your mom at least took her to a doctor. 
Yeah. And that doctor testified at the murder trial. Well, I don't want to give away too much in your okay. book. Yeah. But your whole family gets involved in the trial because now you're witnesses, not witnesses. You're, yeah, you're witnesses, correct? Yeah. Yeah. My parents, my mother was considered the key chief character witness because she personally took her to the doctors. And one night there was a knock on our door and it was Joni and she was um, beat up. And she came in and I remember just walking out of my bedroom and sitting at the top of the stairs and I got, I saw her, I saw her beat up. Oh, it's been so tough. She was the sweetest woman. Yeah, very close. close. So yeah, my parents really put themselves in jeopardy. We, We had the FBI surrounding our house. They were taking my mother to and from the courthouse, but we had 24 hour surveillance because nobody felt safe. And I was 12 going on 13. You know, that, that is a pivotal time in people's lives, 12 to 13. Exactly. This experience changed my life as a kid because all the focus went on this tragedy and what was going to happen to my father's career. And my parents pretty much stopped focusing on being parents because there was so much fear and drama and turmoil. Yeah. So this is the coming of age story. And this was the event that set it off. Now, there was that incredible tragedy, but also you were in Chicago in the 60s. Your dad was in show business and you were quite a character. There was. You were a delightful kid, um, you and your brother. And I love what you used to do at night when your parents were having dinner parties. Would you explain that? Yeah, that's funny that it popped out to you. There was this very famous actress from the 40s, wonderful actress named Loretta Young. And she did, well, she did one classic Christmas movie that everybody probably should see called The Bishop's Wife. Oh, with yes. Jeff, with Cary Grant. But she did, my favorite movie is The Farmer's Daughter that she did with Joseph Cotton. But later on, she got into TV and she would introduce dramatic shows. And I think it was called the Loretta Young Show. And she was very beautiful. So she'd come through a door with like massive, beautiful gowns, chiffon, and then slam the door behind her. Well, I, as a kid, I'd do that at my parents' dinner parties. I'd go upstairs and I'd put on my mom's jewelry and makeup and anything that would be flowy, her chiffon. Then I would come downstairs and I'd open the kitchen door and I would do an imitation of the Loretta Young Show, except I'd trip. And do a prat fall on my face and get a laugh. <laughs> and that was my introduction into performing. I wish there was video of it, but there is none. I so wish. And I bet your father was so proud. I think that your stock went up in my family if you could be funny or get a laugh. That was the value. So I kind of had to learn to be funny in a way. It was part mm-hmm. of my programming. You know, but I want to say one quick thing about the event, you know, where it changed my life from 12 to 13 is after that, even at a young age, I would think to myself without telling anybody, this is a movie. This should be a movie that stayed with me my entire life. And I could not write this until my parents passed away. 
because uh, there's things in the book that I couldn't say out loud that my mother could not know about. And I would never betray my family. Some people do it. I wouldn't have done it. So that's why it was late coming to the board to write it because I didn't have yes, permission. You are very honest in the book. You're very honest about yourself, your father and mother, warts and all. It, it's in the book. Yeah. I had a little guilt writing it. How did you deal with the guilt? Well, the only way was just understanding that I wasn't going to hurt anybody at that point. Anybody that I could hurt would be gone. Um, now, it sounds romantic to me, but during the summer, you would all pile into the Pontiac and That's you true. would tour the country. Your dad would do his stand-up gigs. I mean, that segment alone is a movie. It really is. We headed to Miami. Miami was the destination because he could get, he could do three or four stand-ups a night at the different hotels on Biscayne Bay. They had the fountain blue and these. And so it was a fantastic summer for my brother and I. We stayed at a really cool motel that had a big swimming pool. My mother cooked. We got a thing with a kitchen and we just played in Miami and went to his shows, went to other shows. And but what I loved personally, and I write about it, is that they'd make a kind of a bed in the well of the back seat of the Pontiac mm -hmm. with pillows and blankets. Because I was little, that would be my cot when we drove. And my father would drive nonstop sometimes. And our family was so enclosed in this Pontiac, it made me very happy. It was one of the few times we were like all together. Yeah. And so it is kind of romantic for me when I think about going down to Miami. But I did go down to Miami after the murder alone with my father in the car. So there is a story about us crossing country together after yes. the murder. And then my mother came in and showed up later. And um, that summer I started to grow breasts because I'm 13. And that summer was like, oh my God, if I put on this bathing suit, people look at me. So there's like coming of age girl coming of into young woman kind of yep. thing too, you know? Yes. Now, <laughs> did you ever think of becoming a stand-up like your father? He did coach. He would coach comics coming up. He and did. I know it was a different time. And were there, were there any women comics in Chicago at the time? Um, not so much. It was really mostly guys. I think when I think about women, for some reason, I go back to a woman named Toady Fields who died. She was really funny. And then Joan I River. studied the history of women in comedy. And she kind of was in that Phyllis Diller yes, yes. genre of kind of making fun of herself. Because she was really chubby. But she was really funny and she Wonderful. died young. But did you ever think of it? Did you ever want to be a stand-up? You know, I actually did not. I wanted to be an actor, and I did become an actor for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but the funny thing is that I absorbed so much that I was naturally funny. And I think it's just because I lived with that. And so I understood the timing of a joke. And I understood what timing was. I mean, that was drummed into me from... You know, and then watching him direct people, all of that had a big influence on me. But I'll tell you what, I'm kind of saying this publicly for the first time. 
I'm starting to talk with people about doing a one-woman show based on the book. Oh, Carrie, I love that idea. And if I did, it would put me in a stand-up position, but I'm storytelling. So yep. you know yep. what I mean? It's a, it's a little different than a, a set r- routine that's 35 minutes that Chelsea Handler gets on and gets off. But this is like a whole epic story. And I've mentioned it to two people who thought it was a fantastic idea. So that's just coming up this week, strangely enough. But the I've thought about getting up there, but I honestly think it's the scariest thing on the planet to be a stand-up. But I've had moments where I thought, do you want to maybe just get up and see what would happen? Mm-hmm. But the idea of doing a one-woman show, because I have been on stage, that part doesn't scare me because I'm telling a story. Yes. Some of it is funny. Some of it is not. You know, first three pages of The Comic's Daughter, I describe what I would do when I would go to his shows, and I went to them all the time. He'd get ready to finish up his last joke, and I knew what it was. I'd get up from my booth, and I'd run to the ladies' room. And then after his show, all these grown women would pile into the ladies' room, and they would be talking about him. Oh my God, that was so funny. That comic was so funny. And uh, they're still laughing about something. So I started to say, hi, I'm the comic's daughter. I just <laughs> my little hand out and go, hi, that's my dad. I'm the comic's daughter. And oh. that's how I got validation. And yes. then these women would go, oh my God, your, your father's so handsome. Is he funny at home? Oh yeah, he's very funny. And so I played the ladies' rooms. Love of that. There's so many great titles. The comics daughter. I played the ladies room. There's such a plethora coming off this book. That's how I got my sense of self and my self-esteem was attaching to him. That's my dad, you know. Well, now you've got some self-esteem, but at 13, your dad, the comic, told you the Freedmans were cursed. Yeah. Can you share how that shaped you growing up? Well, you know, that was a turning point in my life because I remember it so well. It's exactly how I wrote it in the book. I was in the kitchen. But what people who are just hearing me for the first time need to know that he was crushed by the death of this manager who was going to get him on the Tonight Show because the Tonight Show had just opened with Johnny Carson. And the thing was, oh, I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to get you on The Tonight Show. And he had a trip to New York planned and then the death happened. So through, through my father's, whatever he went through, you know, he came up with this, you know, I should tell you this, the family is under a curse. Nobody ever succeeds. And I remember just stopping and looking at him at 13, like, are you kidding? No, Please. no, I thought you should know we only get to one level and it, we can't go any further. And that has influenced my whole life. Ooh. I'm not saying it as a victim, but there's no question that mm-hmm. it permeated my life. And the thing is, I know a lot about the process of hypnosis and therapeutic hypnosis. And at 12 or 13, a kid is going to take in a remark like that as if it's hypnosis. 
Like it's the gospel. Because mm-hmm. when, when you're in trauma, and that would be anybody, and you get message, you're very suggestible to that message, if that makes sense. So I was very suggestible to that message. And later on, I thought about it and I thought, wow, that was very personal of him because my great uncle started variety. And I just doesn't feel like someone who was a loser. No, no, not at all. That's the family legacy, you know? Variety is one of the most respected business entertainment publications on earth. Yeah, it started in like early 1920s. And it was started by an accountant, my great uncle, because he was in love with show business and he was in love with vaudeville. But I think this was because he was a narcissist. I think that he took this very personally and that this ruined his life, and I got the brunt of it, you know. (laughs) Back in the day, I'm sure he wanted you nowhere near nightclubs. Maybe he wanted to dim your light, thinking he was protecting you? No, I don't think so. I think he was handing down his own pain. Mm. Um, I really do. I think it was like, if I can't make it, you're not going to make it. And the funny thing is, I was writing a long time ago. And I was writing sitcoms, and I remembered showing him one of the scripts we wrote. And we got an agent from one script, my partner and I. She passed away. But he would read, and then I remember once he read a script, and he he put it down, and he looked at me and said, this is really good. And like he looked confused and shocked, and he said, I can't write like this. Where did you get this from? Well, that's the narcissist, right? Yes. You can do it and I can't do it. Where'd you get this from? This is Miss. I can't write like this. But two of his brothers were writers. One of his brothers wrote television for years, including Lou Grant. And my other uncle was a publicist and publicists write. But he was like that. I read the book and then I realized I was writing about being the narcissist's daughter as well as the comic's daughter. It's interesting that you said that about your dad because I remember somebody was trying to put him up for something and he was saying, you know, I tell stories. I don't do one-liners. I might be wrong. Well, that is true. Be- he didn't okay. do one-liners. Mm-hmm. Well, he's almost putting handcuffs on himself. You know, he probably could do so much more than he was even doing did he... i think so and i think fear played into it mm. i'm i'm much more experimental than he was there was somebody that flew him out to audition for the movie with tom hanks and sally field stand up something like that oh yeah yeah i remember that and um he did terrible at the audition <laughs> he just oh. couldn't audition i think there was a lot of fear and insecurity there with yeah, him. It just came to me. Punchline. Punchline. Thank you. David is his name. David. I'll think of it. Anyway, I used to follow my father around and see him do all those shows in Miami and I get it stuck with him. So he wanted to write this movie about stand-ups and he never forgot about my father. My father was like an inspiration to him. But when it came to acting, he really was not a good actor and he couldn't audition. <laughs> I was just looking up Punchline and... um I see David Seltzer. That's it. David Seltzer. Is that David Seltzer as in the omen David Seltzer? Yes. Yes. Get out of town. I've worked with David Seltzer. You have? What a gentleman. Yeah, he's a very he's a very nice, soft spoken man. 
very yeah. soft-spoken. Yeah, I did a pilot with him. Oh, I can't even remember. Revelations. Hey, writers, that's the end of episode one of this two-part interview with Carrie Freeman. Next week, we will dive into Carrie's writing process and discuss her mentors, including three tips from David Mamet. That's a wrap for the Writers Hangout. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, like, and thrive. Till we get to hang out again, keep writing. The world needs your stories. The Writers Hangout is sponsored by the Page International Screenwriting Awards. Executive producer, Kristen O'Verne. Producers, Terry Sampson and Sandy Adamitis. Music by Ethan Stoller.